So last week we uh, started kind of a new section of our journey, and that is discovering uh, discover the path. And uh, we had this little saying last week, if you remember, it's uh, our uh, direction, not our intentions, determine our destination. And we just began to talk about this this path that we are on. And we, we looked at Proverbs chapter 7 um, and just how this old guy was watching this young guy, right, come down the road to meet this girl that he shouldn't have been meeting. She was a married lady. And he, as he was looking through the window, he knew where all this was heading. And it was just heading down, you know, in, down destruction. Like the guy was heading down the wrong path. He knew already, just by observing this, that he is not going to end up where he wants to end up, right? Um, and so this week, I just wanted to talk about how do, you, how do you choose the right path? Like, how is it that that young man did not know he was on the, the wrong path? And there's all these paths in our world to choose from. Um, and as we talked about last week, our intentions are all good. I think that we all want to end at a good place in life, you know, where there is contentment and fulfillment and satisfaction, um, but not all paths end there. Uh, so even though that's our intent is to end in a good place, if we're on the wrong path, we're not going to end up there. That's the reason we had this saying, you know, it's our direction that determines our destination, not our intentions. And so I have another saying for us today. This one actually comes from Albert Einstein, and it's just simply this. Any fool can know. The point is to understand. And I want to explore that a little bit with you today because it's so so true. You know, like like, um, this young man thought that he was going down the right path that was going to end him in a place where he just finds uh, contentment and satisfaction and happiness. Um, And even though we don't know, like, the rest of the story, some of us have been around long enough that we know the rest of the story. You know, we are like that old guy looking through the window through the lattice, and we know that this kid is not going to find what he's looking for down this path in life. And so, you know, any fool can know. The point is to understand. He just seemed to lack understanding. So how do, how do we learn to choose the path? I'm going to give you like two answers right off the bat, and then we will kind of dive into this. And the first answer I would give you is that you, you need wisdom. To, to understand what the right path is, you, you've got to gain some wisdom. That's one of the things that that old man, you know, back in Proverbs 7 had, is that he had wisdom. And, of course, we know that that's Solomon that is peeking through the window, watching this observe. And he's, he's sharing this with his, his son, and he knows that his son yet lacks the wisdom that he needs to make sure he's on the right path. And so that's the first thing that I would say that is the answer to that, making sure you're on the right path, is that you need wisdom. Um, wisdom is... A great thing. And so that's really what, the reason I give you that answer right off, because that's what we're going to explore for the next few weeks, is just this whole concept of wisdom and how important it is, how deep it is, uh, and how you can get it. Uh, We're going to get wisdom from Solomon uh, and from the book of Proverbs. Why? Because Solomon is the wisest man, other than Jesus, that has ever lived. 
he still holds the record. We, we can't find anybody that has more wisdom than this man. So that's why we're going to go to him and go to the book of Proverbs as we kind of go through this is just because he's so smart. But we are also going to go to Jesus because he's pretty smart too. Uh, and I don't mean smart in, in a sense of knowledge, although he is that also. He, he is the best. But I'm talking about wisdom. He's got, and, and also just some of the writers of the New Testament because where did they learn their wisdom? They learned it from Jesus. And so that's kind of where we're going to be going. By the way, um, Proverbs, there's 31 of them. And if you want to do something as we walk through uh, this the next few weeks is, is get yourself in the habit of maybe just reading a proverb a day. Uh, you know, this is something Billy Graham did every day. No matter what else he was reading, no matter what else he was studying, one of the things that he did, and I don't know exactly when he did it, if he did it in the morning, in the evening, in the afternoon, or what, but he would read a proverb a day. Uh, because proverb is all about wisdom. If you want to, uh, you know, raise your quote of uh, wisdom in your life, then just start reading the book of Proverbs. Um, And if you want to, you could, since there's 31, you could just start today, like read uh, uh, Proverb 20. And then if you ever wonder where you are or need to pick up, you just look at the date and just pick up there. Um, You will miss sometimes, you know, 30 and 31, uh, maybe even 29, depending on what year, right? But um, but uh, at least that would give you an idea of where you are and just kind of keep uh, going that way. But, but try that for the next month and just see if you can't get in the habit of, of gaining some wisdom and reading through that. Here's the second thing that I want to say as an answer to how do we learn what the right path is, and that is get yourself in a really good uh, small group. And this small group could be a small group that meets at somebody's home, but it also could be just a small group that meets at the church. we got a lot of them already going on. Most of you are probably already a part of that, but it could be like a Sunday school class. It could be, you know, uh, coffee with, you know, a certain group of people. It could be, uh, well, like what we do even on Sunday night right now with watching The Chosen is kind of a small group. But there's something valuable about being connected with a small group that is that is meeting for the whole purpose of growing in their relationship with each other and with God, Um, like a Bible study or something of that sort, because that is where you're going to make sure that you are on the right path, is when you are hanging out with like-minded people. Um, And which I I would attach to that is not just being a part of a small group, but also just making sure that you have the right people in your life. You know, if, if you are constantly hanging out with people that are, you know are heading down the wrong path in life, and to think that you're going to uh, head down a different path, you're just fooling yourself. The Bible tells us bad company corrupts good character. And this is so true. I mean, it, you, there's no way out. It's not like, it's not just something your grandma came up with or your parents came with up. Is you know, you hang out with these people, you're going to be like these people. It's, it's, it's not, it's the wisdom that has come from God. And, and so who you hang out with is really important. Make sure that the people, your buddies and the people that you frequent uh, are people that are also heading where you're wanting to head you know, and on the right path. And so that is so important. Something that I, I found intriguing and also encouraging is we went Friday, we went to the homecoming game here uh, at Phil Kinley, and, 
And that was exciting. Man, was that a game. Uh, and uh, it was exciting all the way through. Uh, but, but something I noticed is some of our youth kids uh, were hanging out together. You know, off not on the far other side where we sat, just down a little ways were some of the girls uh, that come to a youth group that were just kind of setting together. And some of the guys were kind of clustered together. Um, something that I hope to see in the future is that they, more of them are clustering together. Uh, and the reason I do is because I know how important that is. You know, being in ministry as long as I have, raising kids as long as I have, I know how important it is that if they hang out together, it's going to be better for them. Not that they're going to escape every temptation, but it will make a difference on what path they find themselves in is who they are, you know, becoming acquainted with and who their friends are. And so that's important. And that's not just for kids. That's for us adults as well. Um, so Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen, it just says, it, this is just a wise saying, right? Iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. And it is true. Um, that's what happens as we rub off on one another. So, so two things is be a part of a small group. Know who your friends are, who you're hanging out with, making sure that you're heading in the right direction in that way. And, and uh, read, read a proverb a day, and uh, you will be heading in a good direction. According to 1 Kings 4 verse 32, this is what it says about the author of most all of the Proverbs that we will be looking at, and that is Solomon. But it says this about him. It says, he also, talking about Solomon, also spoke 3,000 Proverbs, and he's saying, and his songs were 1,005. He spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon and the hyspus that grows out of the wall. He spoke also of beasts and of birds and of reptiles and of fish. And people all, of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from all of the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. So he had, he had begun to create quite a reputation in his day of being a super smart person. He could write about anything. He could watch the birds, and he could write about them. He could watch the trees, and he could write about them. And the things that he wrote were extremely intelligent and full of wisdom. Amongst those who, you know, heard of his wisdom and wanted to check it out was somebody that a particular queen, and I know that when I tell you her name, it would be my guess that you probably whether you read it in the Word of God or just have heard it somewhere else, this will probably ring uh, familiar to you. But do you remember the name Queen of Sheba? Well, she was very intrigued about all the stories that she heard about King Solomon. And she wanted to check it out herself. She lived 1,500 miles from Solomon. Now, Today, that'd be quite a journey in and of itself, but that is nothing compared to back in the day when you took a camel to get there, right? And so it was important to her to make this journey, to go here. She heard about this guy, but she had to go to his concert herself, right? She had to go see him herself. So she goes and makes this journey. And Second Chronicles 9, starting in verse 5, this is what it says. And she said to the king, the report was true that I had heard in my own land of the words of your wisdom. 
But I did not believe the reports until I came and my own eyes have seen it. And behold, half the greatness of your wisdom was not told to me. Think about that. You surpass the report I have heard. Happy are your wives. And boy, did he have plenty. 300 wives and and 600 concubines, 900 women. (laughs) Was he wise? I guess he was. That's what the Bible says, right? (laughs) Just joking. But uh, that's a lot. But anyway, happy are your wives. Happy are are these your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and set you on his throne as king for the Lord your God, because your God loved Israel and would establish them forever. He has made you king over them that you may execute justice and righteousness. So she was pretty impressed about what she found. All the stories were true and way more so. I mean, she was just really intrigued by this man. And in verse 9, this is what it says there. It says, Then she gave the king 120 talents of gold and a very great quantity of spices and precious stones. There was no spice such as those that the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. So she left him a tip. By the way, 120 talents. If you look in your Bible, a talent is like 75 pounds. So 120, 75 pounds of gold, which is about 9,000 pounds. That would have been today about 168 million plus dollars <laughs> that she left with him after observing his wisdom. You know, Proverbs three thirteen. this is what it says. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom. Now, this is Solomon, the one that she just listened to. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her, from wisdom, is better than the gain of silver. And her profit, better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. That's what Solomon said after $168 million was laid at his feet. Which did he value more with his wisdom? Which did he value more? Now, if, if you were to say Solomon, like if I would have said that word before I even moved into this, you would probably think of wisdom because that's where most people go when they talk, talk about Solomon or even when they bring up Solomon. The reason they're bringing him up is because they're fixing to talk to you about wisdom. And, and that's just, you know, they, he went hand in hand with that. And just think about that. Not, not only was he like so wise that people would travel 1,500 miles in his day to, you know, just listen to him talk and lecture about this or that and found that worth the trip and given all of this, you know, loot to him because they think it's worth giving. But it's still today, he is still the go-to guy when it comes to wisdom. He is still the one that people are listening to and, and quoting. There's this, his words are quoted when it comes to wisdom. His words are quoted more than any other book, even outside of people that are Bible people. 
because of how wise his sayings are and how true they've been throughout the years. They don't get old. They don't wear off. You know, they, they still are powerful. They still are full of wisdom. So who gave Solomon his wisdom? I mean, was he just born with this rare quality to be able to see what most people don't see and to put into words what most people can't put into words? Was it his schooling? I mean, you know, King David was his father, so maybe King David had him in a border school and he was being taught by the best and the brightest. Is that where he got it? Or maybe, you know, it's just because he was King David's son, you know. He just learned from King David because King David was pretty amazing too. He was a man after God's own heart, so maybe that's where he picked it up. Well, it's, it's none of those. Where did he get his learning? Well, I'm going to take you there. In 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 15 through 14. At Gideon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night and said, Ask what I shall give you. How many of you would think that that would be pretty cool if God showed up to you today and said, hey, ask me what you want me to do for you? <laughs> it's like a, a genie in a bottle, wouldn't it? I mean, that would be like a, something to behold. And what did Solomon ask when God asked him this? Solomon says, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness and righteousness and uprightness, of heart towards you, and you have kept for him this day of steadfast love, and have given him a son to set on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father, although I am but a child. I do not know how to go out or come in. So, what is it that Solomon even brings up when he was asked, What is it that you want to ask of me? He's kind of revealing to God is, man, am I in a a pickle here? (laughs) I mean, you have blessed my father David, and I have seen that, but now it is my kingdom, and you put me on that throne, and I am but just a child. I looked up, and I was trying to figure out, does the Bible state, you know, how old Solomon is? And no, it doesn't. And There's a whole lot of debate about this, right? Some people said that he was 12 years old when he took the throne. Some people said he was 20. And then some people in between the, you know, 12 and 20. We don't really know. All we know is when this, his reign was like for 40 years and, you know, when this and that happened and that's how they're trying to gauge about. But whether he was 12 years old, which would be extremely young, or he was 20, to him, he felt like he was in over his head. Have you ever felt that way about anything? Like maybe when you became a parent for the first time, <laughs> or had the, your first job, or, or you know, uh, I don't know, driving the car for your first time, and you're like, what are my parents thinking, giving me these keys? Uh, I don't know, but I think that there are times that Solomon definitely felt that when he was given the, the keys to the kingdom and given this throne, and now he's governing all these people. And he has God show up in a dream, but has God show up and says, what do you want? 
And Solomon is explaining to his situation, and this is what he says in verse 8. He says, And your servant is in the midst of your people, whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered and counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? And verse 10 says, It pleased the Lord that Solomon asked this. And God said back to him, said to him, Because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now am according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall rise up after you. That's where he got his wisdom, wasn't it? He just asked God, and God granted it. Verse 13, it says, I I give you also what you have not asked, but riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you in all of your days. And if you walk in my ways... He tells him there, I'll give you long days too. And so God was so pleased with Solomon. Not only did he get wisdom that that surpassed anybody and everybody that's ever lived to this day, but he also gave him all the things that he didn't ask for, that God was kind of expecting from him. So, remember our thought? Any fool can know. The point is to understand. Solomon didn't want intelligence. He wanted understanding. He wanted wisdom. And there is a difference. Uh, And at some point, not today, but at some point we're going to explore that a little bit more. But God was so pleased with him, he gave him what he wanted and then some. And much more than And apparently, you know, not only was God pleased, but Solomon was pleased by his choice too. And hopefully, through our little journey as we walk walk down this path of wisdom for the next couple weeks, hopefully you will see how valuable this commodity is too. Hopefully you will see how important it is to gain understanding and not just know. And to understand the difference between the two. Listen to what the words of Proverbs 4 says. Proverbs 4, verse 6, it says, Do not forsake her. Again, her meaning wisdom, okay? Do not forsake her, and she she will keep you. Love her, and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Great wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a grateful garland, and she will bestow on you a beautiful crown. And he's just talking about she is going to deck you out if you will just honor her, if you'll just prize her, if you'll just see how valuable she is, and if you'll realize that you will be the best-dressed man, the best-dressed woman in all of the land. Because people make, they know that, Right? They, they, we know who is not, we're not talking about intelligence, 
But we know who has, like, insight, like, understanding, wisdom. And we know who doesn't. You know, there's a lot of smart people in the world, and they don't have understanding. (laughs) They're smart, but they don't have understanding. And there's just a difference. Think with me for a minute how valuable wisdom is. Now, we're not going to be able to go through all of the passages of the Bible about this, but I do want to just kind of highlight a couple, and you can jot these down for later. Maybe, in fact, maybe these are just some verses that you just kind of meditate on today. But I just want to kind of point out the benefits of wisdom, how valuable it is, you know, what an advantage it is to have God's wisdom. And so here's one that we find in James chapter 3. If, if you have God's kind of wisdom, you learn to be peaceful, considerate, full of mercy, and sincere. Because this is what it says. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceful, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, and good uh, fruits, impartial and sincere. That's what... Remember, just talking about like uh, Proverbs uh, 3 is, or 4 rather, is talking about just being clothed or decked out in, in this, this beauty of wisdom. And here in James, it just talks about, you know, this, this wisdom from above, it, this, it adorns, you, adorns you with these kinds of things like peacefulness and gentleness and sincerity and, and full of mercy. You see, people that don't have wisdom... These are the things they lack. They have a closed mind, right? Uh, people that don't have understanding because they, they don't want anybody, you know, uh, persuading them any way else. This is the way I think and this is the way it's going to be. But people who are full of wisdom, they want all the information so that they can make good discerning decisions. And that's kind of what he's talking about here. They are, they are people that don't have wisdom are impartial. They're very partial. You know, they're very set in their ways, and they're very, uh, um, you know, just the opposite of that. They're not gentle or peaceful. They, they are opposite of that. And so that's one of the things that James helps us with. And because of that, you know, even your enemies will be at peace with you when you have wisdom. And you can look up 1 Kings 5.12, Proverbs 16.7, because those depict that. You know, in 2004, a painting of Anna Mae Robertson uh, was sold at one of those uh, 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 antique road shows, you know, that they have on TV. So Anna Mae Robertson, you, you will better be, you'll know her better by her name of um, uh, Grandma Moses. Now, Grandma Moses, and you have to Google her because I did just because I wanted to be reminded of the paintings, but she didn't even start painting until she was 78 years old. I mean, think about that for a minute, but then when you Google her later, don't do it now, <laughs> um, when you Google her later and you bring up these paintings, you're just going to be like, wow, she did that when, I mean, I don't know when she did this one. She might have been older than 78, but that's when she started painting these things, right? Anyway, one of these paintings ended up at this antique road show, and they were, you know, supposed to give a price of what it's worth. Uh, the guy that brought it, he, his mom was friends, or his grandma was friends with uh, Grandma Moses back in the day, right? 
And uh, um, she bought it for like 10 bucks, this painting. And she actually had like 10 of them because she was just good friends. And, and this, this lady, she didn't, you know, the value of this. But I want you just to pause for a second and just think about that because there's something to, to learn from that other than what I want to, to use that as an illustration for. And that is just that some, some of us haven't even started you know, the most significant thing that we have to contribute to society yet, maybe. I mean, I don't know. Maybe you have. But this woman didn't. And it just made me think back, you know, like how many people in the Bible were like that? Now, Solomon started when he was little. I mean, young, whether he's 12 or 20, I don't know. And King David was started when he was young. But there was others like Moses and, you know, and Noah and some of I mean, there was just a lot of other people that really didn't do anything super significant until later in their lives. Uh, and so I just thought, you know, just to think about that for a minute. She, you know, she, her potential was just like, like laying there like a seed. You know how a seed will just lay until it gets watered, until the sunlight gets on it. And so this was always in her, but she never really let it out until later in her life. And I think there's a, something to be learned by that. But anyway, back to you know, what I want to use this for. So she, she had this primitive style, and that's why, you know, you ought to look it up sometime and just look at the things that she painted. But, but uh, she did not know the value of it. You know, I don't know what letter to, to begin to paint, but she did, and then she just was sold to anybody that would want to buy it, and it was kind of floored that anybody would really want it. Uh, but she did not know the value of that. And so here's what I want to, you to gain out of that, and that is that sometimes... That's what the fool does with wisdom. They don't understand the value of wisdom. So here's the Bible and Solomon, who's the wisest man ever, trying to help us understand by painting these pictures for us that wisdom, she should be prized, she should be valued. She's more precious than jewels. She's more important than rubies and gold. And did he know something about that? Yeah, he just had like a 168 million dollars laid at his feet just because he talked to somebody. So he knew about all these other things, but yet he would say that the most valuable thing in all of those things is not wealth and, and stuff like this or popularity. It is wisdom. And he's trying to instill this into his son. He's trying to instill this into anybody that will listen. And the fool doesn't know that. That's why Solomon writes in Proverbs 17, verse 16, he says, Why should a fool have money in his hand to buy wisdom when he has no sense? (laughs) And that's his way, kind of sarcastically, of saying a fool doesn't come and buy wisdom because they don't see any value in wisdom. It's only the people who see value in wisdom that gain wisdom. And so back to, you know, our little saying for the day, and that is, any fool can know, the point is to understand, what is it that you're really after? Because what you're really after is going to really determine what path you are on. If you are like the fool who just doesn't see any value in wisdom, you're not going to be on a path, a wise path that actually will lead you in the destination that you want and hope that you'll be on. It, you have to have wisdom, is what I'm trying to get at. 
to even be on the right path. You have to have it. And in order to have it, you have to want it. You have to see that it has some value. And if you want it, how do you get it? Because if we have to be born with it, we're going to be in a heap of trouble for some of us. If you have to have the schooling to get it, I don't know, maybe some of us will pay attention when they teach it. Or if you have to have certain parents. Anyway, what I'm getting at is that's not how Solomon got it. How Solomon got it is that he, God says, ask me. And Solomon asked him, give me wisdom so that I wouldn't be able to understand. And God gave it to him. How are we going to have it? What I want you to leave here today is to know the exact same way. Because the same offer, you remember when I told you, like when, when God shows up and says to Solomon in this dream, ask me whatever you want. And Solomon asked for wisdom, and God was so pleased with him because he didn't ask for riches or to kill the enemy or, you know, long life or anything. He gave him an abundance of wisdom. And he was so pleased with Solomon for asking that. Do you know that that is exactly what God's Word says to each and every one of you today? This is something that we just learned in our little study back here in this room about how to study the Bible. But in James chapter 1, verse 5, it says this, If any of you, and he's talking about his audience, which in James, one of the things we learned is his audience is super broad. It's not a certain church. It's not a certain individual it is to the 12 tribes dispersed abroad. And those 12 tribes is just, a repre- that's just a, his, the author's way of representing all of God's people, right? All of God's people of Israel. And so he's not writing to a church. He's just writing to anybody that will, is a child of God that will listen to what he's writing. And now that we have this, we know that we are included in this. So who is he writing to? He's writing to everybody, that will listen to these words of wisdom. And that's one of the things that you will learn if you study it, James, at least the background uh, study about James, is you would find that in the New Testament, this is considered the New Testament proverb. That's why a lot of people love James. They read it because it's such common sense stuff. You know, it's just about how to handle your tongue, about how to handle this situation, that situation, and things like that. Just real practical, down-to-earth things is what people will say. It's the New Testament Proverbs. And this is what he says in James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously without reproach. In other words, he doesn't hold it back. He's not a stingy God like trying to, you know, coax you in and pull it back. You know, you ever done that? You shouldn't do that. That's mean. (laughs) But with kids or with an animal or something, just teasing them, this is just telling you that God is not like that. He wants you to ask him, and he's not going to tease you with it. He's going to give you it with abundance and happy to give it to you. Verse 6, it says, But let, let him ask in faith without no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. 
We went into great detail uh, in our class today, our, our greater detail. I don't know about great detail, but greater detail than what we're going to do here. But, but basically, he's just talking to people who are being persecuted, just told them that uh, their persecution is going to benefit them. Like, you are in a fire, but this fire is going to make you more complete, uh, perfect, not lacking anything. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've ever been through a trial, it's pretty hard to say, yeah, <laughs> this is what I've been waiting on. But that's exactly what James is telling these people to do, is to consider it joy. Because if you go into it with the right perspective and with the right mindset, and that is that you believe that God is actually going to make you better and perfect, complete, not lack anything, he's going to give you endurance, then that's what will actually come out of this. If you go into this with bitterness and complaining and grumbling, you're not going to be more perfect and complete, not lacking anything. See, the key to having the end result there is to actually consider it joy. Trust God that he can actually take this craziness in my life and make good into it. And we need to be reassured of that. But that's hard, right? And so in the class we were just talking about that, that is, and it doesn't make sense. I mean, the first time you read this, you had to have been at least like me and like, that's crazy. That's silly. Consider it joy when you have a fire in your life. Who does that? You know, a trial? That's why you need to ask God for wisdom. Is God give me wisdom? Give me understanding because this doesn't seem like it has, makes any sense to me. And in this case, if they would have asked for it, God would have gave it to him. But, but let me tell you, this, this goes, according to the rest of the Bible, I can say this. This goes just in any aspect of your life. Do you need wisdom? Then God has given you permission to ask him. And he's not going to hold it from you. Do you need understanding? He wants you to understand. He wants you to know that you're on the right path. He wants you to know that this path leads to this. He wants you to be able to know this. And so he wants to give this to you. And wouldn't it be cool to be able to just tap into a little bit of the wisdom that Solomon has about things? You know, when, when God called me into ministry, I was super disappointed and super confused. You know, the first five years of my ministry, I know I talk about this a lot, but it's, it's who I am, right? But, but it was just like, I don't want this, God. I want to do something else. And every funeral, every wedding, every sermon for the first five years was like how some of you feel when you go to the dentist, right? It's just not fun at all. Not something you look forward to at all. And I had no joy in it at all. And you're like, well, why did you do it? Because I literally felt like I would be turning my back on God if I didn't do this. That's why for the first five years, people had to put up with my preaching, which was nonsense stuff, right? But, it, but one of the things I kept iterating over and over, if you really love God, you would quit what you're doing and go to Bible college and go into ministry. <laughs> that's what I told them because that's what I thought. Because that's, that was my life, right? That's what God did with me, and that's what I thought God wanted from everybody else. And if they didn't do it, they weren't really, truly followers of Jesus. But I just didn't understand. I didn't have the wisdom. 
I didn't have the understanding to know the difference between a calling, you know, because he was calling me into a very specific thing. But he wasn't calling other people into that very specific thing. Sometimes he calls people to be a doctor. Sometimes he calls people to be a teacher. But if, no matter what he calls us to do, if it's a calling from him, then we, then we see that it is about him. We are serving him when we are doing this. And if we're not serving him when we're doing this, then we can't say that God called us to do this. Because <laughs> why would God call you to do something that's about somebody else or, or yourself or anything like that? So if, if we do literally have a calling, it has to be about him. But anyway, so God called me into this ministry, and it confused me. And the biggest reason it confused me is because everything I knew about ministry, it seems like the, the prerequisite is to be smart. I mean, seriously. I mean, like, you literally have to write sermons. You literally have to sit down with somebody and take a book that can be very complicated And explain it to them. So you need to know what it says. And you need to understand it yourself. And it was so intimidating to me. Because I graduated in the top 17 of my class. But there was only 18 of us. Okay? (laughs) I don't share that with everybody, but... I, I never did an oral book report because I was the shyest kid at Thayer High School. And I just took the F. When she says, Mike, I just be... But two reasons I didn't do it. One, I was shy. The second, I didn't read it. <laughs> That's just who I was. So God takes me to Bible college because I just wanted to know the Bible and that's why my expectations of, you know, career choices weren't real high. I literally wanted to be a trash man. Even though the, most, the, the wealthiest man in Dodge City, Kansas, at least when I lived out there, was a trash guy. So that was okay, I guess. Maybe I might, would have climbed the ladder, maybe. I don't know. But, uh, but that's, that's why. I mean, I'm just being honest with you for a second because there's, there's a point in this, right? So, so God didn't, like, pick me because he did pick me. I felt this calling so strong. But he picked me not because of my intelligence. And he didn't pick me for my wisdom either. But let me tell you something that happened. When I realized that I was not going to get out of this, like I didn't have a choice, is either walk away from God or do what he's asked me to do. I began to pray some major Solomon prayers. I've been like, God, you got to give me something here. I mean, you're expecting me to do this. You've got to. And so I understand exactly Solomon felt like he was over his head, you know, like he was going to drown without this. And I just trusted that God would do something that I could not do on my own. And I'm just telling you, I am, I am not uh, standing up here saying, oh, he blessed me with intelligence. You all know that that's not true, right? But what he did bless me with is wisdom. Now, I'm not saying that I have the wisdom of Solomon because I don't even come close. But I have wisdom that I don't even understand how I got 
I have discernment and understanding that I don't even know where it came from. I mean, I know, I know that it came from the Bible. And that's what I'm trying to tell you. You've got to be in the Word of God if you want wisdom. Because that's what this whole book is. It's a book of wisdom. And it's not just in Proverbs, and it's not just in James. It's throughout the whole book. But, but those are some specific things that are just really going to nail that for you. But, but sometimes I will read it, and i just like, I know this to be true. And I know that I'm saying something to you that you already probably understand too. And if you don't, just be encouraged that you don't have to be the smartest person or the most intelligent person in order to gain wisdom. You don't have to have the, the most wise parents. You can have some real knucklehead for parents and still gain wisdom. You don't have to be born with this in order to have it. You can still have it. All you have to do is ask God for it. All you have to do is be in this word. All you have to do is desire it. You just have to realize the value of it. And, then, and, and, and know that you, can, cannot, you cannot do it without it. And you will find that he will put you on a path that is the path. Like it is, it is and, it's, and it's, you'll just be like, I'm, I'm amazed that I am here. And literally, I am amazed that I'm here. But I'm just, I mean, in, in jest for all of us, we will be that way. Because that's what God does. You know, May, I'm just going to leave with this, but May uh, of 2012, a 32-carat Burmese ruby and diamond ring was sold. Lily uh, Lafra was the lady who owned it. I guess she was the richest woman in the world. I don't know who that is. But, but she was having it auctioned off. They, they appraised it for 3 to $5 million. But after the auction actually took place, it sold for $6.7 million, So even more than what they thought. But the, one of the reasons that it did is because it was the most expensive, biggest, grandest ruby in the world, at least that anybody ever knew. And so somebody really wanted it. They saw the value of it, right? And so they were even willing to pay more than what it was because they saw the value of it. And the Bible tells us that that is wisdom. Wisdom is far better and more valuable. And the wisest man that ever lived just keeps reiterating that. We've been in Proverbs 3. We were in Proverbs uh, 4. Uh, Proverbs 17. Uh, I don't remember all of them that we quoted this morning, but we're in all these, and it seems like they have a little something in common when they're talking about wisdom, and that is how important it is. Well, let me leave you with one more in Proverbs 8, 11. It says, For wisdom is better than rubies, and all the things that may be desired are not to be compared to it. And it just seems like that's something that Solomon is really trying to get across. And it's really what I'm trying to get across this morning as we walk down this for the next few weeks. is just seeing the value. Like, like maybe you don't see it completely, but show, at least making the effort to show up next week just to hear what he's going to talk about. Like seeing that it's important enough to, to explore this, this thing, wisdom. Because any fool can know, 
But the point is to understand. Let's pray. Father God, we uh, thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to ask you just like you gave to Solomon to ask you for wisdom. I'm really grateful that it wasn't an open-ended question like you did to Solomon because some of us would be foolish enough to ask for something other than what Solomon asked for. But thank you, Father, for giving us the opportunity to ask for wisdom. Give us a discerning heart, Lord, to be able to discern the path that we are on, the path, if it's the path that we want to be on. Give us the ability to see far enough down this path to know where it's leading and heading. Help us not be fooled like the young man last week that we discussed, but help us be like the old man, Solomon, who already knows where things end up down certain paths. Give us, give us this wisdom, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, for communion, um, I kind of wanted to talk with you a little bit about uh, James, because that's where we've been, and I've been studying through this with my, with my class that has been meeting as well, and, and I've been making just a lot of notes, and it's been a lot of fun because I haven't been studying this for uh, a sermon, but what I have found is that as I'm studying it, I find so many places to plug it in, right? Like I sat down with somebody with, uh, with a, as a, a Bible study a couple weeks ago, and I was prepared and ready to have that conversation with them. We didn't have anything on, on the agenda, but so when we sat down, it just seems like this, this God gave it to me to be able to talk. And, and I find myself several times in the last couple of weeks just having that, just because I'm in God's Word. Also finding this great satisfaction to be studying just to be studying, uh, which is really cool because a lot of times I'm studying to prepare for a lesson, studying to prepare for a sermon. And, and so just taking some time just to study has been really satisfying too. And so, so anyway, and then I found myself wanting to visit, you know, about during our communion time because we were just talking about this thing of wisdom and, and Penny just brought up something really cool in our, our class today because it says, consider it joy, you know, brothers, when you encounter various trials, knowing the testing of your faith helps you produce endurance or steadfastness, uh, which leads to making you more perfectly complete and not lacking anything. And so that's like the end result is making us perfect and complete. And what she pointed out is that uh, it makes us more like Jesus because he is perfection, right? And she took us to Hebrews right next door there to Hebrews uh, chapter 4. Um, and I'm just going to read a little bit of that. But 4 verse 11, it says, Let us therefore strive to enter the rest so that no, no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience for the Wait, I'm going to drop down. We would have got there, but we would get there a long ways. So we won't go that far around. I'm going to start verse 14. 
Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confidence, our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And so she was just pointing out that, like, Jesus was tempted just like each and every one of us. He went through very similar temptations, just like when Satan literally tempted him with a rock, you know, and he hadn't eaten for 40 days. Turn that rock into bread because you had the power to do so. He was tempted, but he didn't do it, right? Uh, And each one of those temptations. And so he's tempted like us, but unlike us, he never gave in to it. Uh, And so he always remained perfect. Um, And in Hebrews, one of the things I brought up in the midst of that conversation is uh, two, two chapters before that, it just says, for it, it was fitting that he, talking about Jesus, for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory shall make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. And it was just talking, you know, it's just, I was just pointing out that he's made perfect through suffering. Not that like in us where um, it's like going through a fire in James and that consider it joy when you go through this fire or this trial uh, because when it's all said and done, it'll make you more perfect, complete. Like there was something flawed in us, and it'll get rid of like the the uh, flawed part by going through the trial, making us more perfect, complete. It's not that kind of thing. It's more as Jesus is already perfect. He goes through these struggles or these temptations, these sufferings, and he proved himself to already be perfect. You know, like Peter is talking about, like, you know, when you, when you have gold and you want it to be perfect gold, you've got to put it under fire, melt away all the impurities, and then after all the impurities are melted away because that fire is so hot, what do you have at the end of it? Pure gold. Jesus was already pure gold. He went through the fire to prove that he was already pure gold. That's why he has already proved himself to be the perfect lamb without spot and blemish. And that's why he takes away the sins of the world. The Hebrew writer goes on talking about this, right? Um, and so we don't have to keep doing these sacrifices and things like this. And that's just what he's, he lays out for us, that Jesus is perfect. And I just want to end with this, and then we will pray and partake. But in chapter 10, he gets to where he says this. He says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And that's what we're doing here. We're putting our hope and our faith in what's going on at this table right here. We're putting our hope and our faith in what this represents, which is actually Jesus. We're putting all of our trust in that Jesus, actually what he did back on the cross and what he conquered coming back to life at the grave we're putting our trust that it took care of all of my sin. And that's why we're doing this. Is, and at the end of all of this, he, he says here at the end of that chapter, he says, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. 
For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. And that's one of the purposes of this is to not to be reminded to not throw away our confidence in what we're doing here. And just be reminded of what is accomplished here. So let me pray and then we'll partake. Father God, thank you so much for these emblems that represent what Jesus did for us. He shed his blood for us. He offered up his body on our behalf. He was our sacrifice so that we could be made right before you, that our sins could be wiped away. It is not anything that we can do or have done to make ourselves right before you. It is what you have done for us. Jesus was given for us. He was sacrificed for us. So, Father, help us put our confidence in what you have done. Put our confidence in Jesus being our, our sacrifice for sin. Help us to understand this, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.